So the calendar day flips to February 1st, and we're entering the shortest month of the year. But between our takeaways from Spring Practices Media Day, next week's Signing Day, and Arizona State's win over Arizona in basketball, there is definitely no shortage of topics to discuss on this first day of February. So let's delve into those topics, and as always, take your questions in our latest episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town Welcome to the Devil Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino. Thanks for joining us. And as mentioned, there's quite a lot to discuss these days when it comes to ASU's major sports. And first order of business is Sun Devil's Spring Media Day that took place yesterday on Thursday. And what we're able to learn from that event, I was we talked to various coaches and players that were in attendance. Now, I know my audience well. And I know everyone wants to start the discussion with the quarterback battle, so let's get that out of the way. So during Media Day, not only did we get to talk to offensive coordinator Rob Likens, but also all four of the signal callers that will be participating in this highly anticipated position battle. You're welcome to check out the video links to Rob Likens' comments, as well as all the quarterbacks that's posted under our Twitter handle, at Devil's Digest. And the players' uh, video comments are also posted on our front page on devilsdigest.com. Now, obviously, I'm not going to recite word for word all the quotes that all five individuals provided and what they had to say, but definitely wanted to bring the highlights uh, as points of discussion. So first, uh, let's talk about Rob Likens, ASU's offensive coordinator, and what he had to say concerning the quarterback battle. As you can imagine, most of the questions in his 18-minute uh, session uh, were devoted to the Sun Devil signal callers. So when it comes to reps distribution, uh, if you're a premium member, uh, you knew that Likens told us in, the, in an exclusive interview a few weeks ago that he was pondering splitting the live reps among the four quarterbacks. So two of them would take those live 11-11 reps one day and the other two would take it on the next day. So what he proposed to us during that interview a few weeks ago has now become a reality. Therefore, on Tuesday when spring practice begins, veteran Dylan Sterling Cole uh, is penciled in as one of those quarterbacks taking the live reps on that day, and the other three freshmen are basically going to flip a coin to see who's going to join him on that day and who are the other two that are going to take the live reps on Wednesday. It does appear right now that the schedule of live reps will be Tuesday, Friday, and Wednesday, Saturday. Now, the big question is, how long does this format last? I don't think anyone is willing to commit to that time frame right now, but fear to assume that after two weeks and eight practices, which is essentially the midway point of spring practice, you could see the two better quarterbacks, if you will, get increased number of reps. I think that's a possibility, and we'll obviously know a whole lot more about that after those two weeks uh, elapsed in, in, in spring practice, but I think that's probably a reasonable theory to assume because I don't know if it's really sustainable to give that equal number of reps for the entire 15 practice session of spring practice. I, I, I really don't see it being uh, a logical way of trying to sort out who the starting quarterback for Arizona State is going to be. So, in terms of who are the front runners in this quarterback battle, I know it's easy to say that I don't know, it's up in the air, we'll have to see what happens. 
But I'd like to think that if you're tuning into this podcast right now, you want to hear an opinion of someone who has covered this team for the last 19 years instead of hearing someone that isn't willing to stick his neck on the line with a prediction. Well, I'm not going to change my forecast from the last podcast that we had since I have any, I'm sorry, I don't have any new information that would compel me to do this anyway. So I can see Dylan Stone Cole and Jaden Daniels strictly because of their superior mobility to the rest of the quarterback group emerge as the midway spring practice leaders, if you will. Yes, Rob Lykin said that he will adapt the scheme to the quarterback, but I doubt that the mobility aspect will be significantly reduced because of having a less mobile signal caller lining up behind center. When you have such a gifted running back as, you know, Benjamin, you have to have a strong run pass option, a.k.a. RPO scheme to execute with a mobile quarterback. And even with four inexperienced quarterbacks and all, I don't see that element going away in the offensive scheme that Rob Likens is going to run in 2019. Uh, talking about some other uh, topics that Rob Likens touched in his uh, media availability session, uh, he talked about that third, fourth week of spring. He might want to call more zone reads, uh, more of those RPOs that we talked about. And he doesn't think that it's going to be uh, all that hard uh, to get his base off offense in, but uh, he would like uh, to uh, work uh, to dif- different formations and really not make that offense uh, make that offense too simple. So again, that's going back to my earlier point that if you are going to see more of the zone read and more of the RPOs, that element, at least in theory, should favor the more mobile quarterbacks on the roster, which is why, again, I think Sterling Cole and Jenny Daniels just may have that edge over Joey Yellen and Ethan Long. Uh, in terms of having an advantage, Lycan said, not surprisingly, that he feels that dealing Sterling Cole does have a slight advantage because he's more comfortable with the scheme, more comfortable just being uh, third year in the program. Uh, but that advantage can uh, can slowly go away uh, when, the, when the other quarterbacks get comfortable. Uh, Likens, to no surprise, said it was uh, understandable to have a, a good problem, if you will, when you have four talented quarterbacks and you, and you, need, you need to sort it out. But uh, as far as an early advantage, uh, he feels that, again, that Sterling Cole might be just that quarterback, which is another reason that comp- compels me to think that if I had to make a list of uh, the last two-man standing, if you will, at the end of spring practice, I do believe that Dilling Sterling Cole, for all the reasons that I mentioned and Lincoln's mentioned for that matter, should be one of those uh, quarterbacks. Speaking of uh, Sterling Cole, I think it was very uh, reassuring and encouraging to hear that he has emerged as a leader, and I'll talk about uh, his own comments from Sterling Cole later on. But uh, I think that Rob Likens uh, was very, very impressed um, uh, by how Sterling Cole, as uh, to use his words, uh, take the leadership role by the horns. Um, he really likes the way that he's uh, that he's communicating uh, with, with Likens and, and also and also with the other quarterbacks. Uh, they all watch film together. Uh, they have uh, the player the player led led meetings and. Um, it's funny how Likens talked about that first meeting where all four quarterbacks were in the same room with him, and he said that the tension was uh, thicker than um, a United States-Russian Cold War negotiation. Uh, and uh, Rob Likens encouraged the quarterbacks to talk to each other. And um, it, it seems like by talking to all the quarterbacks, and again, I'll 
bring the, the, uh, their comments later on in the podcast. It looks like that uh, everybody does have a good relationship uh, with, with each other, helping each other, even though it's a very highly contested competition uh, be- between all of them. But uh, competition or not, uh, you do need to have a leader. And Sterling Cole, again, by all accounts, is fulfilling that role. And that, to me, is just another aspect why I think he should be one of the front runners to win that uh, starting job. Rob Likens was asked the obvious, uh, what kind of qualities does is he looking from the eventual st- uh, starting quarterback? And I think that he brought up a real interesting uh, point that he talked about just having a strong and accurate arm is really probably one of the biggest elements that Rob Likens needs to have uh, in, in a quarterback. He says he's been studying uh, different uh, teams, including the two that are going to face in the Super Bowl here this coming Sunday, the Patriots and the Rams. And uh, he said that the biggest difference between the college and the NFL is that the NFL respects uh, the speed that the wide receivers have so much that they really do everything they can to take away uh, that uh, that element from their offense. And, um, and I think that's a very accurate comment because love or hate the New England Patriots, you know that the uh, so-called dink and donk West Coast offense uh, with, with, with the short passes sometimes really used in lieu of a strong running game has been a staple of a very effective Patriots scheme. And NFL defenses are more than happy, if that makes sense, to give you uh, those, those short yardage, at least some of the time, so uh, you won't burn them 30, 40 yards uh, off, over the top. So he said that um, that's how the NFL runs. Now, when you go to the college ranks, they it's the total opposite. They will rarely give you those short yardage plays, those, those dink and dunk uh, plays that can be very surgical and methodical and just help you move the chains continuously. So now you need somebody who can throw the ball deep and obviously throw it with accuracy. And I think Arizona State definitely lacked in that area last year. And whether it was Manny Wilkins just not throwing well or receivers uh, down the field not making the plays, whatever the case may be, that is uh, one element that I think, ironically, was stronger in 2017 than it was in, than it was in 2018. So uh, Rob Likens is definitely looking for a quarterback that has that skill set, and that skill set is definitely one of their prominent strengths rather than just one more tool in, in, in their toolbox. So uh, I think that that was a re- really interesting uh, comment from Rob Likens. Now, when you look at that element compared to all the four quarterbacks, I don't think arm strength is going to be an issue. Accuracy obviously remains to be seen because the three uh, quarterbacks coming from the high, high school ranks obviously were obviously used to a different skill set from wide receivers on that level compared to what they're going to see now in the Pac-12, Pac-12 level in Arizona State. Dealing Sterling Cole, even though he wouldn't come out and say it, you know that he has a higher comfort level with the receivers on the ASU roster right now. So, again, if you're looking for reasons why I think Dylan Sterling Cole should be one of the front runners to win the job, that is just uh, one more factor to take in consideration. Speaking of the passing game, I think it was interesting that Rob Likens talked about running back Eno Benjamin needing to improve in that area. I personally don't think Eno Benjamin really lacked when it came to catching balls out of the backfield. I don't definitely don't remember him uh, dropping 
many balls at all uh, in that respect. Uh, sure, you can always uh, improve on, on, on your route, on your right uh, route running, on your route integrity, and I think that can be said uh, about any wide receiver at any level, no matter how many years of experience you have. But uh, I think that uh, Rob Likens wants you know Benjamin to be a more a more well well rounded back, and that is uh, one. Um, one more aspect he feels that, you know, Benjamin can really hone on to help him in that area. Uh, a question that um, I addressed in previous interviews, both with Rob Likens and wide receiver Charlie Fisher is uh, what does the wide receiver group are going to look like post Nikhil Harry. And I said many times on my premium uh, board devil's huddle that I believe that Brandon Ayuk just could, could be just that person to perhaps not replace Nikhil Harry 100%, I think that's impossible, but at least to uh, short shoulder uh, or compensate, I should say, for most uh, of the loss of Nikhil Harry, uh, Nikhil Harry's departure is is going to cause Arizona State in terms of his um, receiving yards, in terms of touchdowns, and really just in terms of being that menace to opposing secondaries. I think Brandon Ayuk definitely has some potential in that area to be not as dangerous in the kill Harry, but also not too far off. And uh, when Rob Likens was asked that if Brandon Ayuk can fill that role, he basically said that he better fill that role. And uh, he feels that uh, that what, what he showed him in uh, 2018 is enough to believe that, 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 that he can do that. Um, is a very you know similar guy in, in his build and his and his skill set uh, to Nikhil Harry, although I think he is uh, a little more athletic and, and explosive. Uh, I think that he is somebody that everybody's expecting to have that big jump from junior year to senior year, and something that we talked about in previous podcasts and definitely a lot uh, on our message board is that when you have a junior college transfer, and Brett Anuuk was one in 2018, it really has been a true freshman just two years older. There's so much acclimation that you have to deal with on the field, off the field, and you're probably not getting your best from a junior college transfer when you compare that season to a senior season. Brandon Ayuk is a, is a senior this year. He's going to be dependent on heavily in Arizona State Arizona State's offense, especially in their passing game. And I uh, definitely agree with Rob Likas and Charlie Fisher. And again, something that I stated weeks and months before that, that Brandon Ayuk has to be the focal point of, of, of that passing game. Again, if you look for somebody to come even close to replacing to what you're losing with Nikhil Harry's departure to the NFL draft, I think Brandon Ayuk is definitely the player that's closest to fulfilling that uh, achievement that Arizona State passing game dearly wants to really put to rest and make sure that uh, it is all buttoned up for the 2019 season. Moving on to the individual comments that were made by each of the quarterbacks in Media Day, and I'll start uh, with the veteran, Dilling Sterling Cole. You can definitely tell that he's very cognizant of the leadership role that's expected from him by the coaches. And obviously, it's a tough situation to be in because on the one hand, you're wanting to win a starting job. But on the other hand, the leadership that you're providing to, to these young players can obviously better each and every one of them and in theory be a threat to that same starting job that you're competing so hard for. 
but it looks like Dylan Sterling Cole is definitely at peace with that situation, for lack of a better term, that he's in, and he's willing to embrace the role, embrace the responsibility of being that leader in the quarterback's room. And I think this goes overall with his maturity as a player that's entering his fourth year in the program. Obviously, a lot of reporters asked him, why haven't you transferred until now? Are you thinking about transferring if things don't go your way in terms of this starting quarterback battle? And he feels that the maturity that he has gained throughout the years being in the program so long has helped him deal with all the adversity he had in the past and perhaps help him with any adversity he may face as a result of spring practice and maybe not being uh, that possibility to be a starting quarterback or even to be a backup for, uh, for that matter. So those uh, are definitely impressive words and maybe also shows the makeup of Dylan Sterling Cole as a player and as a person. And these are definitely aspects that can go a long way in helping Dylan Sterling Cole possibly win this job. Because I believe that if you're a leader and you have to carry yourself in a certain way and you're probably putting more pressure on yourself to be perfect because of that leadership role that you've assumed, that it can overall benefit everything you're trying to do in terms of bettering yourself and putting yourself in a position to win a starting quarterback job, something that you waited very, very patiently. Even when I asked Dylan Sterling Cole about it, was there any specific technique or mechanic that he really was able to improve on from fall camp of last year until the end of the season? And he said that, it was, again, pointed out to his maturity, pointed out to his growth as a player, growth as a person, and really the approach that he has to the game on and off the field. So that is something that uh, Dilly Stone Cole is, is harping on quite a bit. But I think that also shows the develop and the evolution uh, of that quarterback. One question I asked him is that, and people may forget this, that Dilly Stone Cole actually started a game for Arizona State that was back in 2016, a season that's obviously known for being riddled with injuries at quarterback. Uh, Manny Wilkins was obviously out uh, for a game and had to miss a part of a game. Brady White, when he came to replace Manny Wilkins in that UCLA contest, got injured himself and was and was out for the year and out for really the, the year after that. Dylan Soling Cole was forced uh, to start at Oregon, definitely not a place where you want to play your first ever uh, collegiate game as a starter, even though Oregon was down that year. And Dylan Sterling Cole really showed a lot of flashes uh, in that game. Arizona State did fall short. Uh, one game of many that year that you can point to the defense being much more the culprit to that defeat rather than the offense. But Dylan Sterling Cole said that even though that game was some three years ago, he still looks at it quite a bit and try, trying to learn from that game. Some may forget that uh, the win against USC in 2018, uh, when Manny had to leave the field uh, for a snap or two, Dylan Sterling Cole, and in one of his uh, only snaps during that game, uh, heaved a deep ball to wide receiver Frank Darby that uh, Darby ended up dropping and really seemed like it was a very well-thrown ball 
by Dilling Sterling Cole rather uh, rather than um, just Frank Darby um, trying to make a play on a on a ball that wasn't thrown thrown probably that well. And Dilly Sterling Cole even looks at that one play from that USC game, critiquing himself, trying to learn as much as he can from that experience. So I know that uh, Dilly Sterling Cole is obviously in a very tough predicament. Not only did ASU bring three quarterbacks from the high school ranks, but you bring a, a top 100 guy like Jaden Daniels, n- number number two quarterback in the country, Joey Yellen, uh, quarterback that on some recruiting services is a four-star, definitely one of the best quarterbacks in Southern California this past year. And uh, and, and Ethan Long, I know it's, it's it's easy to overlook him, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes when we talk, we discuss the comments that he had. But they never didn't bring any slouches just to fill the roster with other quarterbacks. They brought quarterbacks that can legitimately threat Dylan Sterling Cole and what he's trying to achieve in terms of winning the starting job. So uh, if media day is any indication, Dilling Sterling Cole is in a very, very good place uh, mentally to handle this battle and really has, in my opinion, not only the physical tools, but the mental tools to go through this battle and put himself in a position to win this position battle. And a lot of people think that as a veteran, he probably should be the one that is that is it is going to come on top, and I stated my opinion early in this podcast and in previous podcasts as well that I feel that uh, Dylan Sterling Cole should be in that group of two that will be contending uh, for the starting job, perhaps coming out of spring practice or at least early on in fall camp. When talking to Jaden Daniels, obviously that dual threat quarterback moniker is brought up time and time again. As we mentioned earlier, Daniels is listed as the number two dual threat quarterback in the 2019 class. What does it mean to be a dual threat quarterback? I think that it's one of those football concepts that people may have different interpretation, not slightly, but at the end of the day, it does imply that if you are a dual-threat quarterback, that your passing skills are okay, maybe slightly above average, but your most prominent skill set is your mobility and not so much throwing on the run, executing bootleg plays, what have you, but rather just running the ball, whether it would be from an RPO zone read or just maybe just a designated run on on a draw play or any other plays that would be similar in in nature and you're really moving the chains just as much with your feet as you are with your arm and if you remember we did a analysis piece following Jaden daniel's commitment we got to talk to uh, former arizona state and NFL quarterback Rudy Carpenter. We also talked to Nick Rogers, uh, the head coach at uh, El Cajun High School, where Jaden Daniels prepped. And we talked about the whole concept of a dual threat quarterback. And both Carpenter and Rogers said that they didn't feel that Daniels really fits that title of the dual threat because he's a darn good passer. He's actually a very good passer. 
In his high school career, he totaled 14,007 passing yards, which is a CIF Southern Section record, 107 touchdown passes, and completed 70% of his passes as a senior. So, if this person is a, is a, is a dual, dual threat quarterback, you better mention the, the fact that he is a very competent passer. And going back to Rob Likens' comments on needing somebody who has a strong arm and has the accuracy on the long passes, Jaden Daniels definitely fits what Rob Likens is looking for for his eventual starting quarterback. So it's interesting to hear that Jaden Daniels basically agreed wholeheartedly, both with Carpenter and his high school coach, that that, and I don't think he was being belligerent about this or anything like that, but he really doesn't like to hear that dual threat title that so many have bestowed on him uh, throughout the years. So I thought uh, that was interesting to hear from Daniels himself on how he views himself as a as a quarterback, whether you're dual threat or whether you're just a quarterback like everybody else. So I thought uh, that that was definitely interesting. One uh, thing that also impressed me about Jaden Daniels was was his humility. And let's face it, uh, he's coming as the uh, highest rated uh, quarterback to ever sign with Arizona State accolades from here until eternity. And I can't say I was surprised by, by his humility because through social media, it's easy to see who's humble and who isn't. Uh, it's one thing to face a reporter face-to-face like Jaden Daniel, Daniels did on Thursday and say all the right things to make you come off as a humble person. But it's another thing to express or, in his case, not express yourself through social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the media may be. And celebrate yourself, if that makes sense. And I, I never saw that from Jaden Daniels. He really carries himself in a very humble way. I think it's a testament to the, to the way that, that, that he was brought up. And when you look for ingredients for success, I think that is something that is definitely necessary to even put yourself in a position to be successful, or in Daniels' case, to even have a realistic shot at a starting job. So that, that that's another aspect that really, really impressed me about, uh, about Daniels. And much like the other two freshman quarterbacks, just said all the right things that uh, even though the competition is heated, he has a good relationship with everybody. And, and if he's not chosen as one of those quarterbacks that is going to be either the starter or the backup that he's going to support, Whoever is, uh, whoever is there. And I think that he had a very interesting quote. Even though he's not really a vocal, rah-rah type of leader, he says, no matter how old you are, what age you are, you can still lead by, by some type of way. You don't have to be the loudest guy. You can lead by example. And I, I, I do like that aspect because I think it also perhaps – showcases the patience that Jaden Daniels may have to exercise himself if he's not the starting quarterback, or even if he is a starting quarterback, just to really have the game come to him rather than force things, rather than be 
over anxious, over excited for this opportunity. So uh, th th those are some of the things that really uh, impressed me about Daniels. I also thought it was a great, uh, I wouldn't say initiative on his end, because I think it was really a two-way street, but him reaching out to the players that were true freshman starters last year, and obviously we're talking defense, linebackers, Darren Butler, uh, Merlin Robinson, defensive back, Ashari Croswell. It looks like that he already forged a good relationship with them, and that can obviously help quite a bit in his acclamation on the field and off the field, because obviously guys like Butler, Robinson, Croswell have been there, done that. And Jaden Daniels, again, with all the accolades, with, with all the notoriety he's coming with, he doesn't feel that it's beneath him or not valuable to listen to those who came before him and understand what he needs to do to be successful, not only as a player, but as a freshman player that has a chance to start in the most important position on the field. Next up is Joe Yellen. And the book on Yellen is that in terms of being a true student of the game, somebody who is so well prepared for every game, every practice, and somebody who's your classic pocket passer with impeccable skills from that specific standpoint. Joe Yellen is somebody who definitely fits the bill. Uh, Rob Likens said on his signing day press conference back in December that he thought that Joe Yellen was the best pure passer, decision-making, and accurate guy all, all rolled into one. And again, this is the same signing day that featured J.D. Daniels and Ethan Long. And for Likens to say that, I would say really illustrates quite a bit how highly regarded he is among the ASU coaching staff. And I think much like the other freshman quarterbacks, uh, he, he was really um, laid back, didn't look overly nervous or anxious about, about the moment. And one thing I probably should have mentioned earlier is that um, all the quarterbacks, actually including Sterling Cole, did receive a media training session a week or two prior to this media day. And even though guys like Yellen and Daniels just playing in such a big market, even though it's only in the high school ranks, but you'd be surprised how many outlets are over there in Southern California covering high school football week in and week out. And I would be more than comfortable stating that both of them received multiple interview requests every week during the season. You, 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 even though they have that experience dealing with the media, it was so important to prepare them for the Pac-12 media and everything that comes with it, if that makes sense. And I think both handle themselves very, very well. And, and Ethan Long, too, and then as well as, as, well as the Dylan Sterling Cole. So, that's uh, that's one thing that I probably should have mentioned mentioned earlier, but yeah, I would definitely say that Joy Yellen is somebody who's very very comfortable with the idea that he does have a specific set of skills, and he's not afraid to use them, as as Liam Nissim said in the movie Taken. Okay, I'm just inserting a lame joke over here, probably, but in all seriousness, he knows that. 
he can't attempt and beat guys like Daniels and Sterling Cole with, with his mobility. So now it's more about the pocket presence, uh, having skills like throwing with anticipation. Those are the things that Joe Yellen is probably better suited than the other quarterbacks on this roster. And that's something that he's really going to try to use it, use to his advantage, showcase as much as he can with the reps that he gets and really try to uh, maximize his chance in winning this uh, starting job. Uh, it's interesting, to, interesting uh, to note that, and I'm not saying the other quarterbacks weren't asked that question, but he talked about getting the ASU playbook ahead of time, really learning as much as he can before he even set foot on campus. And that just highlights the invaluable advantage that all these free quarterbacks have graduating high school early, Yes, they'll still go to high school prom in April. Don't worry. But being on campus and not only going through spring practice, but just getting used to everything that a freshman needs to adjust to coming from the high school ranks on and off the field. And the preparation that Joe Yellen has, has made, just learning the, this ASU playbook as much as he could, again, before even arriving at Tempe and, and obviously – once he arrives, there's this film session involved now, complementing his learnings with the playbook. So he did uh, he did talk about that, and he talked about this playbook really having a little bit of everything. So this really goes back, I guess, to Rob Likens's point that he can adapt the scheme depending on who the quarterback behind center is, and is not really locked in into one certain offense over the other really not having the flexibility because that obviously can eliminate some of the players that are going to be in this quarterback race. Uh, another thing that, uh, that Joe Yellen mentioned is that uh, he, he doesn't mind having the, the, the reps uh, split. Again, I think really talks about the patience that he can exercise even as a young player that is obviously so excited to showcase his skills, probably feeling pressure to do so. But with Yellen, really, he talked about just really seeing a lot of improvement from day one to day 15. And that's something that he can really control, that nobody else can or really should affect that. And that's what he's really looking for, is just his own personal development and really just let the chips fall where they may. And obviously the goal is to win the starting job or maybe at worst be the backup. But I think Joe Gellin may maybe sees the bigger picture of just showing to himself, showing to the coaches that all the feedback that he got from day one or day two, depending if he's taking the reps on Tuesday and Wednesday, that he implements that feedback effectively and in a timely manner so when it comes to the spring game all those construct constructive criticism that he received in the first week become now insignificant and immaterial with what he can showcase on the field so i don't know if joe yellen is in an extreme disadvantage over here again i did mention that in my opinion i think that Sterling Cole and Daniels might have an advantage, and maybe it's not a country mile wide advantage, but nonetheless an advantage 
over Yellen, over Ethan Long. That, that, that remains to be seen. But I just don't think that Joe Yellen will be the quarterback that will be beat because he's unprepared or because his mechanics or technique are below average, if not worse. That's, that's not going to beat Joe Yellen, in my opinion. It's probably going to be more of the scheme that may lend itself better to the skills of others in that quarterback room rather than somebody like Joe Yellen. But uh, he is definitely one intriguing prospect when you look at the quarterback roster. That goes without saying. Last but not least, let's talk about Ethan Long. And yes, I do feel that to some extent he might be the forgotten man in this quarterback battle. But he is the only quarterback, for what it's worth, that talked about Arizona State being his dream school. Uh, he had uh, grandparents uh, that, that live here. And every summer uh, he would come, he said, with his siblings and his mom. And when he came on campus at a very young age, I guess it's sixth grade, he really rocked Arizona State as a destination school in his eyes. So obviously he's excited like all the other quarterbacks that arrived here, but I think his excitement maybe takes on a different connotation, a different level, just because of how passionately he feels about Tempe, about this Sun Devil football program. Ethan Long, I think, comes with somewhat of a disadvantage because he did have an injury-riddled senior season along with an offensive line at West Lynn High School that wasn't exactly the best protective front five, if I'm putting it kindly. And that, to some extent, did uh, did hurt his play and may have been responsible for his injury. I didn't really look too deep into that. But, but nonetheless, not that he had a horrible year by any means, but I think compared to guys like Yellen and Daniels, uh, the film might be somewhat less impressive. Uh, so again, I mean, we're talking about somebody who is probably the dark horse in the race. It's kind of ironic that when I posted uh, his uh, video on my message board that uh, he seemed to be uh, that underdog that a lot of people want favor. A lot of people want to see do well, defy the odds, if you will in this much-anticipated quarterback race. I, I thought uh, that, that that was interesting. I know Rob Blackens in the past equated Long, both in his uh, skill set and personality, to Team Tebow with the caveat, before you get frustrated here, that he is a better passer than Team Tebow was. So uh, just keep that, keep that in mind if you're not a big Team Tebow fan or anything like that. Uh, again, somebody who... who is very very low key guy talked uh, himself about get, getting along with everybody. I thought that was uh, uh, something that was a really consistent theme with uh, everybody everybody else uh, in in in, the, in that quarterback uh, group. And uh, I think that uh, in terms of coaching, and not that the other players got bad coaching, but I thought it was really interesting that his head coach in high school was former NFL quarterback Chris Miller. And I think that to have such a caliber of a head high school coach is something that 
could maybe better prepare them than others may think to deal with that acclimation, that transformation from a high school quarterback to a college uh, a, a college quarterback. I think that um, Ethan Long is somebody that, in terms of just pure skills, might be at a disadvantage compared to the other three. So again, if you want to call him the dark horse in the race, I have no problem at all listing him as that. And the first week or two of spring practice, he can uh, blow that theory out of the water and prove a lot of us wrong. And all those guys that are rooting for the underdog uh, might get uh, their wish with uh, Long's potential emergence. But um, until then, I think that uh, if you had to make a list of who's going to be the top two, top three quarterbacks, I'm just not sure if I'm ready right here, right now, to put Long in that group for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier. But if you're looking for the 2019 version of Taylor Kelly, a quarterback that finished spring practice third on the depth chart in 2012, just to be named the starter later that season, then Ethan Long may just be your man. Let's move to the other side of the ball as defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez was also available to the media during this event. And if I haven't talked about it enough in previous podcasts, it's an absolute joy as a media member to hear Danny Gonzalez talk. Uh, very insightful, very transparent. And I'm sure that any uh, ASU fan that watches our videos of his weekly media availability sessions or even the one he had yesterday on media day cannot help but come away very very impressed and before talking x's and o's so to speak i know that a lot of fans are really fearful of losing such a talented assistant as danny gonzalez and his comments yesterday seemed very very genuine that he absolutely loves it here in tempe he called arizona state a destination job he talked about a program that can compete uh for the college football playoffs every year that everything is set over here as far as the facilities there's a good court culture organizational structure and now it's just a matter of just uh recruiting talent to really build uh this program and if he talks about previous successes, that Arizona State was on the cusp of uh, some very special things. You talk about the 1987 Rose Bowl win. You talk about a 1996 Rose Bowl team that was 30 or so seconds away from possibly winning in the national championship and nothing else going undefeated that year. And he feels that there's a lot of things in place for this program to take that next step. He didn't use the word sleeping giant, which I know a lot of ASU fans absolutely despise because it 
portrays more frustration than promise, if that makes sense. But Danny Gonzalez definitely feels the enormous potential over here, which is one reason why he doesn't doesn't want to leave. He, he also feels that off the field, him and his family have been very, very comfortable living here in the Valley. Uh, he got promoted, as many of you know, to assistant head coach a few weeks ago. And that would beg the question whether he's being groomed to be the head coach. Now, I know from my conversation with team sources, both on the team and also in the athletic administration, that this is definitely a scenario that has been already talked about. This isn't something that's just wishful thinking by fans and for some reason the decision makers are being tone deaf to that or anything like that. There's definitely have been as preliminary as discussions as you can have. Now, Danny Gonzalez is a very humble person and in this, in this regard and feels that he really needs to earn that head coaching job just because it's his first year as a defense co defensive coordinator in a power five program. And for whatever reason, Gonzalez uh, under Rocky Long in San Diego State was not even allowed to call plays on game day. So even that experience was obviously quite different, scaled back, if you will, compared to what he's doing here at Arizona State, absolutely having autonomy on the defense. He doesn't feel that um, his time has come yet, but I think it's something that's definitely in, in the back of his mind. He talked very highly of Herm Edwards. Uh, feels that he's giving him all the support that he needs and is just a great boss uh, to work for. And he said that uh, that if the head coach opportunity was presented to him, he wants to believe that he has earned it uh, to begin with, but it's not something that's really keeping him up at night or, or anything like that. And again, again, I just think for such a successful coach to have that humility that it's not something that he needs to get by 2020 or 2021, I think is very, very telling about his personality. And again, I think his, his comments, which I understand some ASU fans might be skeptical about, I thought really should be reassuring for those folks that think that Gonzalez is one of those coaches here today, gone in two, three years for greener pastures. Again, when he talks about Arizona State, being a destination job, that's a pretty strong comment. And for a point of reference, I know a lot of people really did not believe Todd Graham when he said that when he first got hired. I know Todd Graham definitely had the track record of jumping from one job to another after being there for a year or two max. But Todd Graham, at the end of the day, when he talked about Arizona State being his dream job and talked about this being a destination job, he definitely did not leave, did not have any aspirations or at least strong aspirations to leave Arizona State. So maybe seeing what happened to Todd Graham, who ended up leaving Tempe not on his terms, should make you feel good about Danny Gonzalez and what he feels about this job. So going into the X's and O's uh, of the defense, Denning is also as happy as a kid on Christmas Day that spring practice is right around the corner. Uh, talked also that not only does early start really help the defense improve and 
maybe have, I guess, that freshness playing in a ball game just a month and a half ago. But uh, really, really excited about the uninterrupted period of the strength and conditioning program, which is going to have a winter and a summer session, and it's not going to be a spring practice in the middle to break it up. And we talked about that, I believe, in our last podcast of what an advantage it is in the development of players. It really is one of the most important times of the year when each player with their own individual program given to them by the strength and conditioning staff molds his body and gets it ready from a physical standpoint, from a conditioning standpoint, for the rigors of, of, of the football season. And Danny Gonzalez is just one more person on the staff that is wholeheartedly behind the early spring practice period. I think he hinted that in San Diego State they did it also in February, albeit in the middle of the month rather than the beginning of the month. But nonetheless, Danny Gonzalez is somebody you can definitely count as a fan as the of of the early the early spring practice start, I uh, asked Danny Gonzalez if he felt that compared to the linebackers and secondary groups, does he feel that the defensive line may have more question marks than the other position groups? He felt that the starters are pretty much established: uh, senior George Lee, uh, sophomore Jermaine Lole, who started as a true freshman for several games uh, later in the year, and Junior Shannon Foreman are pretty established right there as the starters. Now the question becomes, what is the depth chart going to look like? Um, you talked about D.G. Davidson, a classic uh, nose tackle, somebody who weighs right around 320, 330 pounds, but carries it really, really well, and has been slow to develop, and injuries have really hampered him. He's going to be uh, limited, if not very limited, uh, in the spring. So we might have to wait until fall camp to see what he can bring to the table. But that's uh, somebody that he mentioned as uh, a player that he feels that can contribute. Uh, Michael Matus, who was a defensive end who redshirted last year, is somebody that he was anxious to see now not being on the scout team uh, anymore. See if he can, he can push uh, to be in the two deep at, um, at defensive end. And then you have other defensive end and like uh, Jalen Bates and Darius Slade. Uh, Darius Slade was hampered by injuries himself. Jalen, Slade, Jalen Bates, I'm sorry, is somebody who wore down as the season went on, according to Gonzalez. But he felt that those guys are uh, definitely very anxious to uh, carve their own niche uh, in, in the two deep, if not challenge uh, for, for the starting job. So he felt that, um, you know, defensive line might be in better shape th- than some may think it will may may think it will be. I think the depth chart over there is just a little more suspect than other positions. And even in fall camp, when you have the majority of the true freshmen arriving, I don't know if you're going to have really that many questions answered at that point. But it's interesting to see how that all uh, shapes up. <clears throat> I know that uh, Danny Gonzalez joked that uh, that he reads Devil's Digest and other publications who uh, showcased the fears of the fans of how short Arizona State is on bodies. Acer right now is around 74 scholarship players, which is 11 players under the 85 scholarship threshold. And yes, that does include all the true freshmen that are supposed to arrive here in the summer. And then Gonzalez uh, chuckled, if you will, 
feeling that he really wasn't um, short on bodies, at least at least not on defense. That, that was his feeling. He feels that uh, losing 2022 seniors is something that you're going to see every year going into spring practice. But when you have a good solid two deep, maybe even a three deep of players that are going to be with you throughout the upcoming season, then at the end of the day, you're not really short on bodies. And something that I mentioned many times before, maybe not so much on the podcast, but definitely on my premium message board, Devil's Huddle, is that I don't feel you should have warm bodies on the roster just to say, like, here, I'm an 85, or I'm just very, very close at 82, 83. At the end of the day, you can have players that you can find out pretty quickly a year in the program, maybe even two, that there's a not a snowball chance in hell that they're going to sniff playing time. And I hate to sound crass about that, but that's the reality of football and really any sport out there, that you just have players that you add that you think can fit in some shape or form, and when the rubber beats the road, they're just not cutting it. Or maybe they're showing you tiny bit of flashes the first year, but second year they're not not able to build on that and are basically, again, that so-called warm body on the roster, which may be deceiving as far as how much depth you have because we're talking about somebody who's there just by name, but not because they're talent, not because of their skill set. So Daddy Gonzalez doesn't feel that numbers-wise, and again, he might be talking more about the defense and the team as a whole, that it's really an issue that Arizona State right now is at around 74 scholarship players. Now, Daniel Gonzalez definitely had a young group last year, and now you would hope a year older, a year wiser, having that natural improvement progression that players usually have going from sophomore, I'm sorry, from freshman year to sophomore year, that this is something that can benefit him and maybe change his approach. But he feels that um, there's really not going to be a whole lot different. I mean, sure, the younger players now know what's expected from them. And he feels that maybe this group did not play that hard towards the latter few contests, and maybe it's part of, of being wearing down, and that's something that he took accountability as a coaching staff to improve that aspect for the upcoming 2019 season. But something, something that he won't stand for is guys not has, uh, guys not hustling, showcasing poor effort. And he hinted that maybe he put up with that a little just because being a first-year coach, you have that feeling out process that sometimes takes a little longer than you want it to. But you're trying to figure out the players. The players are trying to figure out you. And maybe some things are being overlooked or not being emphasized as they should. And Danny Gonzalez emphatically said that those days are over. That with all the returning players from last year, knowing what the expectations are, obviously his knowledge, knowing the character, the personality, let alone the skill set of all the players he has on the defensive roster, that you can now have a different approach, at least in that vein, in how you treat 
the players and how you treat uh, the, the, the practices. Now, uh, he did acknowledge the fact, and I think it's definitely worth stating, that because offensive coordinator Rob Likens on the other side of the ball is having four new quarterbacks to work with, I would guess really three brand new, one, new ones, and Dylan Sterling Cole being a veteran that is very short on experience, that you might not um, showcase all the exotic looks on defense for a group that is very, very challenged in terms of their lack of experience facing, facing college defenses to begin with. So uh, there's definitely going to be some adjustment, I guess, from Gonzalez's uh, standpoint. But, uh, it, you know, some things that these quarterbacks are going to have to get used to is the speed. And we know that a Danny Gonzalez defense is very aggressive. It has the speed, it has the agility, and it's going to showcase it time and time again. And uh, Danny Gonzalez doesn't want to make that doesn't want to make spring practice boring. He said that in his comments. And when you hear comments like that, then uh, then you know that even though the defense again won't have those uncommon looks as often that can absolutely throw off a quarterback, it's definitely not going to be sitting on his hands and being more reactive than proactive. In, uh, in spring practice. He talked about uh, doing more of the uh, rugby uh, tackling in, in practice. I believe he talked about bringing a, uh, had a coach that uh, really taught the finer aspects of that methodology. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that materializes. I don't think that missed tackles was near the problem that it was in 2017, 16, 15, and nonetheless, I think that Gonzalez feels as an aspect that that has to improve. Um, you know, he talked about having told told disregard for your body, which he believes that a lot of the players anyway do anytime. But uh, you know, he, he's going to work on also tackling without pads, which obviously is going to be more emphasis on technique rather than just the the brawn aspect of it, if you will. And um, again, you know, Danny Gonzalez said that he didn't feel that they really missed a lot of plays because of poor tackling or anything like that. But uh, at the same time, he definitely feels it's something that that, that, that needs to improve. Um, lastly, I wanted to mention uh, Danny Gonzalez talking about uh, Jamar Kane, the new defensive line coach who replaced Sean Nua, who departed for Michigan. And you definitely got a sense that Danny Gonzalez, and I think it really starts at the top with head coach Herm Edwards, that he basically has the Rolodex, if you will, of names that he can call upon whenever a position coach like Sean Nua, like running backs coach John Simon leaves the program, that he can call on right away, uh, doesn't need a search firm doesn't need help from colleagues in the business to try to identify people that he already has those names on deck and ready to be contacted if the need arises. So with Jamar Kane, it really was a very, very uh, short process from the time that Sean Nua left until the time that Jamar Kane was here on campus interviewing and ultimately accepting the job at Arizona state. Uh, Danny Gonzalez with his, uh, Experience in the Mountain West is obviously very uh, familiar with Kane, uh, seeing him uh, coach successfully at Fresno State, 
uh, turning that program on a dime when it comes to rushing defense. I think we're like from 111th in the country to, I believe it was like uh, in the 20s or in the 30s. Uh, that's that's a turnaround, which I don't care if you're playing in a P5 or a G5 conference. That is, that is uh, definitely an impressive uh, accomplishment. Uh, Gonzalez joked that the only knock is that uh, Gonzalez being a University of New Mexico guy through and through now has to deal with Jamar Kane, who's a New Mexico State guy through and through. But uh, nonetheless, it also adds uh, to being more comfortable with uh, somebody that you know very, very well. And sure, you have that aspect that uh, Danny Gonzalez and probably Herm Edwards himself are very impressive of what the defensive uh, line of Fresno State was able to do uh, to Arizona State in Las Vegas Bowl. I mean, sure, uh, you know, Benjamin had uh, well over 100 yards, broke the single-season school record in that game. But uh, really in the second half, I thought that uh, defensive line played uh, very well. Overall, I think had uh, six or seven tackles for loss for the game. And this definitely wasn't a case where the ASU offense was unsuccessful in the second half despite poor defensive line play by Fresno State. The, I mean, nothing could be further than the truth. So maybe there's a little also, if you can't beat them, join them. And that's why uh, Jamar Kane was very high in the list of replacements for Arizona State, and that's why he's a new defensive line coach for the Sun Devils. So we're interesting to see what he can bring to the table in terms of his coaching style, uh, bring to the table to a group, which, again, I feel that talent-wise may lack what uh, some of the other groups at Arizona State have right now. So curious to see what the development of this defensive line is going to be right now with the returning players and then having a very talented defensive end in, uh, in Stephon Jackson. I'm sorry, Stephon Wright. Uh, that's a Freudian sw uh, slip over there, uh, confusing him with Jake Jackson, his good friend that ultimately chose <laughs> USC. But uh, Stephon Wright... Uh, a four-star rivals uh, 250 prospect who's arriving in the summer, along with one of the more intriguing true freshmen, or incoming true freshmen, I should say, on this team, Amiri Johnson, another def another defensive end from Southern California. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how he can, how he can coach him up and really mold this defensive line, which I don't know if I would call the Achilles heel of the defense, but probably the weakest link out of the entire defense. I'm really curious to see what Jamar Kane can do with that group of players. Uh, so some of the notes uh, to pass on. Um, we talk about depth of linebacker not being issued, but that's if everybody is healthy. We learned on uh, spring media day that Tyler Johnson, the redshirt freshman uh, who had an outstanding year and really was somebody who some may remember was, Started out at, at uh, defensive line, was dab was uh, dabbling with playing tight end in 2017, and uh, here he is, one of the better uh, players on defense and part of a very talented and young linebacker group. In any event, uh, he, he had shoulder surgery, so he's going to be out for the spring, but should be good to go for uh, fall camp. That creates somewhat of a concern because we already know uh, Stanley Lambert, who had a serious knee injury, uh, tearing multiple ligaments is definitely out for the spring curious to see what his availability is going to be for fall camp but that's something we'll definitely talk about more later on in the year and uh danny gonzalez talked about some linebackers that are 
less known compared to Tyler Johnson, Merlin Robinson, Darian Butler, who obviously were front and center, not only in the linebacker group, but really this entire defense all throughout 2018. He talked about uh, local Scasso Suaro, standout uh, Kyle Soley, who he felt uh, probably does not get as many accolades as he should. Talk about a linebacker that's uh, very technically sound. I know linebackers coach Antonio Pierce also sang uh, Soli's praises uh, in the past. So look for him in lieu of the absence of both Lambert and Tyler Johnson to get uh, increase, increase reps. I think uh, that uh, that's something that can really, really benefit him uh, going into fall camp, improving his position on the depth chart, at least in theory. Another, another linebacker to look out for is, is veteran Kalen uh, Curse Thomas, who uh, somebody that kind of got lost a little in the shuffle just because he was recruited over, for lack of a better term, with players like like Willard Robertson. But uh, when he did get to play due to injuries or other absences, I thought did fine. Um, I think, it's, again, somebody that wants to make sure that he can not only secure his position the two deep and maybe provide more of a challenge for a starting position. I'm not saying that uh, the odds of that are great of happening, but nonetheless, I know he's going to work really hard to do that. I think all those injuries might open the door the most for a guy like Reggie Hughes, who some may remember was the lone four-star early signee in the 2017 class, the very first time there was an early signing period. And a player that a lot of us thought uh, could be quite the fixture at linebacker, but again, when more talented players were brought in, uh, Reggie Hughes is another guy that got lost in the shuffle, redshirted last year. So curious to see uh, how the injuries uh, at linebacker will uh, help him out. So, uh, when, when it comes to the defense, you definitely want to see that you're older, you're wiser, one, one full year under the 3-3-5 scheme, really pay the dividends that you want it to pay and make sure that this defense is really tre- continue to trending in the right direction and improving that much more. Obviously, with all the close losses this team had in 2018, and I'm not saying everybody should be happy about moral victories, but it was good to see that the defense always kept the game at arm's length. Now, yes, this group has to take the next step and start winning games for the Sun Devils. But for now, I think that uh, you should definitely be pleased with the direction the defense is going in. And new quarterbacks or not, I'm very, very curious to see this defense show its development, show the maturity of all these sophomores that were just freshmen a year ago and really, really take this defense uh, to the next level, a level that, again, Danny Gonzalez feels that is very, very attainable. Mama Mavis, oh, mama, they try my patience. Is gone. Who is left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say I'm.
Yes, the devil was at work indeed on Thursday night at the bank. Arizona State with a thrilling 95-88 overtime win over Arizona. The first win for the Sun Devils or the Wildcats since 2015. And the first win for Bobby Hurley in his tenure with the Sun Devils. Absolute monster games by sophomore point guard Remy Martin. 31 points, a career high. 8 assists. And I thought what was interesting specifically concerning Martin is that Bobby Hurley, just a few weeks ago, talked about Martin needing to find that balance between looking for a shot and looking to get his teammates involved. And in the months of November and December, and granted Remy Martin was injured and didn't play some of those games to begin with, and once he came back, obviously had to go through the natural progression of getting back to his own self, or his old self, I should say. But nonetheless, there were some issues in that specific department. Even at the beginning of January, we saw Remy Martin not always making the right decisions in terms of when to shoot and when to pass the ball to a more open teammate. But yesterday, as mentioned, career high, 31 points, 8 assists, only 1 turnover. And trust me, in the postgame, Remy Martin did beat himself over that lone turnover. Just shows you how perfect these players want to be trying to attain something that sometime is not uh, possible in a lot of cases. But uh, anytime ASU needed a, a big shot down the stretch, a big shot in overtime where they outscored the Wildcats 12 to five, Remy Martin was there. And speaking of overtime, I mean, two incredible stats that you have to bring up. Arizona did not make, even one field goal during that five-minute period. All their five points came from the line. And Zylan Cheatham notched seven of his career-high 22 rebounds in that five-minute period. Now think about that for a second. Seven rebounds in five minutes. There are players, even in the NBA level, let alone the college level, that would love to have seven rebounds over a span of 40 or 48 minutes, depending on which level of play you're participating in. And Silent Cheatham got that in five minutes of play. Absolutely incredible game by the senior. Who also had 11 points, shot five of seven from the field, uh, did his normal job of distributing the ball well, had, had three assists. Another great game for the senior that... I tweeted out early talking about immediate impact players, players that from the minute they stepped in that court in the season opener for the Sun Devils, you could just tell that they're going to make their mark on the program and make it in a very resounding way. And Zylan Cheatham definitely fits that bill. I mean, if you have the Mount Rushmore, at least this century of players that you would call true immediate impact players, Ike Diagu, James Harden, J.E. Carson and Zylan Cheatham definitely joins that list. Cannot talk enough about how much this player has benefited the program. And I think not only with his God-given talent, but just his leadership, his character, really being the face of the program, being somebody who can rally the players behind him. Somebody who's just a positive influence on and off the court, dealing with his own adversity with, with his brother, 
who was uh, shot and killed um, earlier in January. And throughout all that, just being positive, shining with his personality, and again, being an absolute rebounding monster on the court. Again, you, you can just keep on shaking your head in amazement for days of all the accomplishments that uh, he has notched in his lone season playing for his hometown Sun Devils. Zalen Cheatham's uh, 22 rebounds are the fourth, or tied, I should say, tied for fourth ever by, by a Sun Devil player. And the last time anybody even came close to notching that number was uh, 1977 Rick Taylor, who uh, had 22 rebounds against San Francisco. Not only does Zion Cheatham have those 22 rebounds, but this is coming off a 20-rebound performance he had last Thursday against UCLA and a 19-rebound performance against USC. So just think about, again, not only getting 20 rebounds or more in a game, but doing that twice in a span of seven days. Again, absolutely incredible. One thing that I found really interesting, and uh, we did tweet it out, we did talk about it in our post-game story, was the motivation tactics of Bobby Hurley. And for the benefit of those that haven't read or heard the story yet, here's what happened. In the morning shoot-around, the day of the game, Arizona State has a routine uh, to go watch film and then go on the court and, and put up shots. But the shoot-around started with all the players who were very surprised because they were not told of this ahead of time, told to meet Bobby Hurley at the court. And Bobby Hurley asked some of his players to read the final scores of the six games that he lost since he arrived in Tempe as Arizona State's head coach. And for each deficit point, Bobby Hurley ran baseline to baseline. So ASU, for example, had one game in Tucson where they lost by 38 points. So here's Bobby Hurley running 38 sprints baseline to baseline. The cumulative number of sprints that Bobby Hurley ran, which again is a cumulative deficit points that ASU lost to Arizona in the previous six games to, to, to last night, was 92. Now, Bobby Hurley... If you saw him in person or even on TV, the guy's in great shape. And, and you may know his workout routine where he, where he uh, runs, uh, I believe, three miles every morning. I mean, definitely looks like the guy that can just roll out of bed and just run a marathon without extra preparation or anything like that. But even Bobby Hurley was a little winded. I mean, after all, the, guy, the guy's 47. But nonetheless, his message was to his team, I'm willing to suffer this one last time because the suffering ends tonight. Now, maybe Bobby Hurley, at some points of that contest on Thursday, was thinking about the extra sprints he might have to run when uh, Arizona State is going to meet U of A in Tucson on March 9th. But ASU was able to prevail at the end. Kind of funny that they came in to this into this game as a five or five, five and a half point favorite. Something that I don't think happened probably since the James Harden years over here in Tempe or very shortly after. 
And to achieve what they achieved, and even though it wasn't done in the prettiest of ways, is still a statement, or I should say important statement for a team that's trying to prove that they can live up to their potential, live up to all the preseason accolades that they got. A team that was ranked a good few weeks in the top 25 earlier in the year, and then created a lot of doubts around itself, losing games like at home at Princeton, like like Utah at home, Stanford on the road. Losses that you just really didn't expect from this uh, Arizona State team, especially when they had another signature non-conference win again against Kansas, this time in Tempe. You really thought that this team could improve itself that much more. And I think they brought all of us a little down to earth those first couple of weeks in January. But right now at the halfway mark of Pac-12 play, they're sitting at a 6-3 and Pac-12 record, 15-6 and overall. A record that... I don't know if fans are necessarily elated about because, again, you're talking about some Pac-12 games that they really had no business losing. And sure, they still are challenging for that top spot in the Pac-12, although Washington still undefeated as we're recording this podcast and absolutely is the team to beat. And Arizona State is going to have their only chance to play Washington because of the rotation that happens every year where there are two teams that you only play at home and two teams you only play on the road. So this year, as luck would have it, Arizona State is not traveling to Seattle, but are hosting Washington a week from this coming Saturday, February 9th. Another excellent opportunity, just like they had against Arizona last night, to really prove that they can be a serious contender in Pac-12 play, and maybe but maybe cause a whole lot of less anguish to its coaches, to its players, and to its fans by not having another white-knuckle selection Sunday where ASU was sweating it out just because they played so poorly in Pac-12 play after having an outstanding non-conference play, as we all know, undefeated, ranked as high as number three in the country. And we knew Arizona State was going to do things differently this year. I don't think we expected some of the struggles that happened earlier in conference play, but you just kind of wonder, has Arizona State righted the ship with this win over Arizona, proving that there's going to be a different path to another NCAA tournament appearance that they're not going to flutter and be in the lower echelon of the Pac-12 standings. Because guess what? If that, for some reason, happens again this year, you can forget about being part of March Madness. I mean, even that last four-in game in Dayton, like they were last year, that's just not happening. So really interesting to see if Arizona State can build on this momentum. I mean, don't look now, but they have won four of their last five contests. And that's something that we have not seen under Bobby Hurley. We have not seen with a lot of ASU basketball teams this century. So it's somewhat uncharted waters, but remains to be seen, again, if they can 
keep this momentum and really make you forget about those early conference play struggles that they had. A couple more points I want to mention uh, about this game is, uh, first of all, the crowd. The 14,731, largest, uh, I'm sorry, third largest crowd in Wells Fargo Arena slash University Activity Center, if anybody remembers that building name, history. And sure, you expect a sellout crowd, a huge crowd for those Arizona games. But what was different is the percentage of ASU fans versus Arizona fans. I don't think there was more than a thousand fans in attendance over there. And that might maybe even generous. Now, granted, Arizona was in the middle of a real bad stretch. This was the third consecutive road games and the first, I'm sorry, the two prior games they had to Thursday night were back-to-back 20-point losses to the Los Angeles schools, two schools that are nothing like USC and UCLA, quote-unquote, regular caliber talent schools we've seen in recent years. So that definitely came at a low point, and I heard one of the beat writers for the Wildcats say, well, you couple that with a Thursday night game, and maybe just fans don't want to make the trek up for Tucson for this product. But I'm sure if you went back in the history books, there were a lot of Thursday or weekday games played between these two teams at night that U of A fans were more than happy to attend, whether it was a a short drive from their home in the Valley or making that 90 mile or so trek from Tucson because it featured a much better team. Now, when it comes to the level of talent on this U of A roster, I think that's an important discussion to have concerning that specific aspect. I've heard both ASU and U of A B writers talk about this being one of the least talent-deprived Arizona teams in recent history. But I think you have to make a very important distinction, and my good good friend Ralph Amsden made that distinction yesterday in his own unique tweet, as he does so, so eloquently, that yesterday on the court for Arizona, there were not one, not two, not three, but four top 100 players, obviously not all from the recruiting class, you know, spread out over the last few recruiting classes. But that's what Arizona had at its disposal, just in terms of a pure talent level. It would have number five if Brandon Williams uh, was healthy enough to play. And it did have a 6-1 top 100 player, Emmanuel Acott, who decided to transfer early in the season. So when you talk about this Arizona team not being talented and Arizona State took advantage of it. Arizona State probably took advantage of a team that just wasn't playing well. But in terms of pure talent, it still had more top 100 players on its roster compared to Arizona State. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know all the ills and shortcomings of this Wildcat team. I'm not one of their beat riders, so I'm not going to venture too much into that. I don't know if it's just coaching or just 
players grossly underperforming collectively all at the same time for whatever bizarre reason. But nonetheless, if there's any U of A fan out there that's getting in your face and saying that you were just taking advantage of a very bad Arizona team, I think you should put that in perspective. Because when you talk about, again, just blue chips on your roster, Arizona State has a ha- uh, sorry, Arizona has a handful of them. Arizona State has a few, few of their own, but still not at the level that Arizona does. So that's something really to keep in mind. And UVA fans may want you to keep this win in perspective. But if you're Arizona State, there's probably other perspectives that you should look at. But you absolutely did not beat the worst team, again, from a pure talent standpoint, that the Wildcats have ever had this century or even in the last 30 or so years. Far, far, far from that, at least, at least in my opinion. So Arizona State gets another statement win, this time within Pac-12 play. I know they're not overlooking the Thursday night game that awaits them against Washington State, one of the worst teams in the conference, but there's no doubt that they know that the challenge and probably a subsequent reward if they win that game is that matchup with Washington I don't know if it's a win that can necessarily help them catch Washington for the regular season or the Pac-12 regular season title. Because right now, Arizona State is sitting at three losses. Washington right now is undefeated. You may not have that much time to make up all that ground. And with the way Washington is playing, it might be just impossible to do that anyway. But this time of year... You're not only talking about overall record, but you're talking about beating teams that can elevate your NCAA tournament resume. And it goes without saying that a potential win against Washington next Saturday can do wonders for Arizona State from that aspect. Not to mention just keeping that momentum, increasing the confidence, and making sure that Arizona State is a team that does get hot at the right time. So another ugly win for Arizona State, but there's no such thing as an ugly win when you look at the overall record and what the Sun Devils were able to accomplish last night in the bank. As we come to the last segment of our podcast, as always, we address your questions about your various ASU sports topics. And I did promise I was going to talk about next week's signing day, and I know that uh, questions we got in the Devil's Huddle was uh, concerning that topic 
Exactly. And this question does come from Santan Devil. How do you feel the 2019 recruiting cycle is going and is going to end? So uh, the two uh, players in play right now are Stephen Linton, a linebacker from Dublin, Georgia, who uh, just earlier today released his top four. If you've been a premium subscriber of DevilsDynast.com, I definitely encourage you to join our community of Sun Devil fans in the huddle so you don't have to wait for the Stephen Linton tweet, among others, to find out the news. The final four for Linton are Arizona State, South Florida, Syracuse, and Missouri. South Florida and Syracuse have been pretty early on Linton, probably not compared to Arizona State, who offered him back in the spring. And Linton, as you may know, uh, took an official visit to Tempe in June. Uh, Missouri is the uh, Johnny-come-lately, if you will, in Linton's recruiting picture. Linton definitely wanted to play for the hometown Georgia Bulldogs. That's not going to work out, but the next best thing could probably be playing at in the SEC. So that's probably the attraction right there for Linton. I think Arizona State has a good chance of landing him. When you're battling three other schools, that's a pretty crowded room, so hard to say how this exactly is going to fall. At the end of the day, uh, I know for a fact that, and again, this is stuff that I reported in the huddle, that uh, Linton's uh, family and his coaches definitely seem to be very favorable of Arizona State and the long recruiting efforts that they have put in. I mean, when you, when you sum it all up, it's just about eight months from initial contact with the linebacker up until now. And Arizona State coaches certainly hope that that does count for something. The other uh, prospect left on the board for 2019 is actually one who's visiting Arizona State this weekend, uh, Jordan Wilmore from uh, Lawndale, California, to south of L.A. Wilmore, a running back who was committed uh, to USC, did not sign in the early signing period in December, decided to open up his recruitment a few weeks ago, already officially visited UCLA and Utah, and now his last Official visit before the before the uh, signing day next week on Wednesday is going to be with the Sun Devils. I'm a big believer in the theory that if you do get the last in-person crack at someone before signing day, usually that ends up being good news. I remember back in the Dirk Cutter days that uh, Mark Ingram, who's uh, running back for the New Orleans Saints, actually did visit Arizona State uh, right before signing day and uh, looks like a, some suspected back then. He wanted just to get the fee trip in warm weather and sure enough did not sign uh, with Arizona State uh, in the end. So there's certainly exceptions to that theory. But I think Arizona State has a good chance of landing him. I wouldn't put them as a favorite right now. We'll see how the official visit goes. But I think that linebackers coach Antonio Pierce who recruits that region uh, has a good relationship with Wilmore. I know Wilmer knows some of the players on the team right now from that area, like uh, Merlin Robinson, Darren Butler, Ashari Croswell, Jermaine Lolay. So those are all factors that can work in Arizona State's advantage. So we'll see how that goes. Other than that, uh, there are no um, high school prospects that are visiting this weekend or are expected to be signed uh, next week. So Arizona State's going to turn their attention uh, to the transfer market. Uh, 
it's not only the grad transfer market, but also the uh, traditional transfer market, if you will, when players uh, do have to sit out a year and then may have one or two years of eligibility. If ASU does get a grad transfer, they would like to get one who has two years of eligibility left, uh, like Roe Hamsley, right now the defensive line for Arizona State, uh, who uh, did arrive with, with, with those two years of eligibility. Because when you look at the offensive line for Arizona State, there's definitely a very good chance it's going to start five seniors. So for someone to be eligible immediately, which is in most cases with a grad transfer, that doesn't really work out to Arizona State's advantage unless the coaches feel that they absolutely got someone who's better than anybody they have right now on the roster, and that would probably apply more to the tackle position rather than to the guard position. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which kind of transfer Arizona State takes. However, don't expect a lot of news or visits to take place while they're in spring ball. Some, sometimes those things materialize themselves uh, actually in spring itself, so March, April. So that that's, those are the factors you want to look at as Arizona State tries to round out its 2019 recruiting class. But as you can tell, all the activity in the fireworks definitely took place in December rather than February. That's just the new dynamic we all need to get used to. Uh, this time in previous years, uh, there was a flurry of recruiting class activity. And, and now because of the early signing period, the February signing day seems very anticlimactic, not only for Arizona State, but a lot of other schools out there. But that's uh, what the 2019 class picture looks like. So moving on to other questions that we did get uh, in the Devil's Huddle. Uh, will uh, will ASU uh, football be competitive in the South next year? Question coming from Caterade101. Um, absolutely, I, I can see them being uh, Obviously, the biggest caveat is the quarterback situation. Is that a question that ASU can successfully answer? And does the dynamic of having a very veteran offensive line a very accomplished, proven running back in Eno Benjamin, a very veteran wide receiver, really negate the newness of having a quarterback behind center that doesn't have that many miles on their tires. So, in my opinion, if that does end up being a question that ASU can successfully answer, then absolutely I can see them being a contender in the South. I think uh, UC, USC, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona are all schools that have lingering issues from 2018 that are going to spill over to 2019. Utah, who won the South for the first time and did so last year, is probably once again ASU's biggest rival over here to, to win the South. But again, like I said, I, I think there's a lot of factors that are in ASU's favor. And we look at defense, a lot of proven players uh, coming back for the Sun Devils on that side of the bowl. So I, I think that absolutely Arizona State uh, should be a contender. I definitely expect them to be picked uh, as low as they were as they were last last year in the media preseason polls, six in the in the Pac-12 South, 
Maybe some members are uh, still not buying into Hermandras and what it was able to accomplish here, and that's fine. Uh, the burning is always on you, whether you finished first in the division or last, and uh, that may not, may not be any different uh, for Arizona State, but absolutely I think that Arizona State can be competitive and should be considered as a contender for the South Division. Next question comes from uh, Nupitain. I never know how to pronounce uh, that uh, name, but uh, thank you so much for being a member of De Devil's Huddle. And um, his question was, my biggest concern with Jaden Daniels is his weight coming in. Based on what you've seen in the media days, is it fair to say still worry about his weight? Well, obviously, coming into media day, uh, Jaden Daniels wasn't going to put up an insane uh, amount of pounds on him or anything like that. And it's interesting, interesting to, to hear you bring up the issue of weight. I mean, you're certainly not the only one. I've heard it, heard it from other fans. And I made a point to ask Rudy Carpenter in my commitment analysis piece on Jaden Daniels, uh, which I referenced earlier in the podcast. And Rudy Carpenter said about said about the, uh, you know, a quarterback like Amani Wilkins, that they really weren't the heftiest signal callers in school history or really among the Pac-12. And that ended up not really being a factor that hurt him all that much. Uh, Jenny Daniels listed at 6'3", 185. I think he could gain a good 10 pounds of muscle by the time August rolls by. And that could bring him closer to the ideal weight that, that, that you do want to bring him in. But again, when you talk about Jaden Daniels, I think we have to go back to that whole, is he really a dual threat quarterback in the, in the sense of running as much as he's going to throw the ball? I just don't see that happening. And I'm not saying that Jaden Daniels should not strive to be stronger. I think every player playing such a violent sport like football should maximize whatever physical attributes they have. But uh, I just don't see it being as big of an issue as other people. I'm very confident that uh, Joe Connolly, the strength conditioning program for Arizona State, and his crew can certainly bring Jaden Daniels to, to a more ideal weight. And uh, we'll see in, in spring practice, even though I'm not expecting quarterbacks to be live and uh, to be fair game for defensive linemen and linebackers to drill them. But um, I'm curious to see how much that really plays a factor because I have a feeling it might be just a little overrated of an aspect. And I just, right now, I, I don't see it being a problem. And again, I like to see it go through that 14-week cycle of pure strength and conditioning program with no spring practice to break it and see how Jenny Daniels comes out of it. As you mentioned, that was one of the biggest reasons for the earlier spring practice date is to have that uninterrupted strength and conditioning session in the winter and in the summer. And for a guy like Jaden Daniels, as many other players, both newcomers and returning players, I think that can really uh, be a, a big, big dividend having those uh, winter and summer sessions uh, to work on your body as much as you can. Next question comes from, wow, I got, I got some really tongue twisters over here as far as the uh, huddle members. I really appreciate your support, but man, those names. Uh, I'll just spell it out. A-T-X-S-A-T-X-S. 
if you, you can pronounce it, you're a better man than I. Uh, who is this uh, Case Hatch uh, kid that Denny Gonzalez thought enough to mention his press briefing? Apparently, he's been on an LDS mission, but appears that uh, Denny Gonzalez thinks it can be a contributor. Um, really, not, not not much is known about um, about Case Hatch, other than he said that uh, he was uh, somebody uh, who was a linebacker. He prepped uh, prepped uh, locally over here uh, in the valley, and uh, is coming back after an LDS mission. And going to join, uh, going to join the Sun Devils, and the actually played in uh, G Gilbert Perry High School. Uh, that some of you know that uh, I'm a big fan of because uh, one daughter graduated from there, another daughter is currently attending over there. Uh, got to see uh, some of their best years in uh, in football history because my daughter was uh, in the sports medicine program over there for the Pumas, and. Uh, I guess what impressed uh, Danny Gonzalez is that a lot of the players coming back from uh, LDS missions usually don't come back in the greatest of shape. And I think it's more of a case of really not being heavy enough rather than being overweight. But he feels that uh, uh, Case Hatch is a player that, for whatever reason, was able to really keep in shape during his mission. And I think just from a physical perspective, might be ready to contribute than, than some may think. So... Danny Gonzalez did have a little spark in his eye when he talked about him. I, I do agree about that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Now, I don't, I don't see him as a somebody who can contend uh, <clears throat> for a starting role. Probably going to be a middle linebacker backing up Darren Butler. I mean, that would be my early projection on that. Because we've seen Kalen uh, Kirst-Thomas, who really started out the season as a uh, Mike linebacker, uh, playing more on the outside. So maybe that helps Hatch. Uh, to be that backup to Butler. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, that's what happens. Uh, just uh, one interesting note concerning spring practice, it does not involve a quarterback battle. Maybe that'll be a refreshing storyline uh, for you and I to discuss throughout the month of February. The next question comes from a name I can actually pronounce for a change of the original Sun Devil for life. Other than quarterback battle, what position group of new guys will intrigue you the most into the spring? To be honest, when you look at newcomers, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I don't see them really having impact on any position battle other than the quarterback one, obviously. Once fall camp rolls by, you'll see some nice position battles in the secondary. If ASU is able to sign running back Jordan Wilmore and linebacker Stephen Linton, I think that in terms of two deep positions, those newcomers can make an impact. But again, if I'm going back to your original question about the spring and impact of newcomers, even if we're talking about players who redshirted last year, uh, I just don't really see any uh, position group that will be impacted, at least as far as starters. I think that the uh, offensive linemen that Richard uh, last year, Ralph Frias, Spencer Lavelle, and Jared Bell, are definitely going to establish themselves as reserves, as two team, as second teamers on the offensive line just by default because the depth is so thin over there. But again, when we talk about uh, players that are not quarterbacks and that are classified as newcomers, I really don't see any position aside from the quarterback where you could see any first-year player really make an impact when it comes to spring practice. 
And the last question, I'll save the best for last over here, Sparky BMX or one three. After a couple of podcasts that you have hosted, how are you feeling that you are now the man of the show? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, I feel good about it. I, I definitely feel that I invested a lot of time and effort, and hopefully it's uh, showing in the podcast that I'm uh, producing over here. And I'm getting some good feedback on it, so I know I'm on the right track. So thank you very much for that. I can definitely appreciate the fact that my predecessor of this podcast, Ralph Amsden, did this solo. Because even though I've done dozens and dozens of podcasts in the, in the past as a guest host, and even if I was talking to talking for, I'm sorry, a total of 30, 40 minutes, probably some cases, granted not in one shot, but you're familiar with a podcast from being a guest, so some of the dynamics are the same. But even though I'm doing something that I love to do the most, talk Sun Devil Sports, and that's something that comes effortless to me, being a beat writer for the last 19 years, it's definitely a topic that if you woke me up in the middle of the night and asked me to discuss, I wouldn't have a whole lot of problem uh, babbling for 30, 45 minutes straight whatever the topic may be. That's just uh, the nature of your profession, obviously. But uh, it's definitely a challenge doing a podcast by yourself, talking for an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. But uh, as always, the support that I get uh, from the listeners is uh, what keeps me going. As, as, as long as I know there's an audience over there that wants to hear what I have to say, wants to uh, have my insight uh, wants to ask me questions and for me to answer them in the podcast to get the ASU fans involved. Uh, I definitely uh, feel that's a privilege, and I will uh, continue doing it as, as long as I can um, continue uh, doing it. So uh, thank you very much again uh, for tuning in. And if you enjoyed uh, this podcast and what I had to say about ASU football, ASU basketball, then you would love to be a subscriber of devilsdigest.com and join us there at our premium message board, the Sparky's Huddle. So if you're not a member already, please uh, go to devilsdigest.com, sign up and uh, join a community of uh, Sun Devil fans that is just like you is very passionate about ASU and has uh, some uh, very uh, civil and thoughtful discussions over there on the message board and uh, get to bug me much more than asking just a few questions on a podcast. So uh, that will wrap it up for uh, my third hosted Devil's Junkies podcast. Thank you again, Ralph, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and on Podbeam, and we're going to have those links uh, on our front page story on devilsitis.com once the podcast is published and also on uh, Twitter, obviously, uh, as well. So thanks, thank you again, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town
Devil Town. 